Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Uh, We began Advent a couple weeks ago by looking at the prophet Jeremiah's vision of a righteous king uh, who would bring justice and peace. And I've been reminded over the last uh, couple weeks and last several days um, that how much all of these centuries later, how much justice and peace are still deep, deep longings in our hearts. Um, uh, that, that when the prophet speaks of peace and justice rolling down like a river, uh, it, it hits just as true to us as it did to the original hearers and those who heard it first. Uh, but I'm also reminded that it may be tempting to say, we'll see how much time has passed. These things, justice, peace, these things aren't really possible. This is just the way the world is. And I understand that sentiment. I really do. And I identify it on a level uh, more than you probably know. Uh, that being said, I want, you know, if we look at the narratives of kind of power as strength and dominance, justice as nothing but more but than punishment, and peace that is enforced through at least through violence or the threat of violence, uh, we kind of look around and say, how, where have these narratives kind of gotten us, right? Where have they brought us so far? And this is why, as the people of God, when we look at the witness, the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, who was actively kind of subverting those narratives, we look forward in hope for the return of Jesus, who will bring those tired old narratives to an end once and for all. So Advent uh, Church is a season where we lean into hope, where we long for peace, um, we wait with joy, and we remind ourselves that it is all held together by love. And... uh, I worked so hard on that sentence, I want to say it again. <laughs> Advent is a season where we lean into uh, hope, where we long for peace, we wait with joy, and we remind ourselves that it is all held together by love. So this morning, as we look at the third uh, theme of Advent, which is joy, that's the off-colored candle, the pink candle. My girls ask every year, why is, only, why is there one pink candle? And that's pink is the color that represents for us joy. Uh, and so whenever you're, at, right, whenever you're lighting Advent wreaths, you're always lighting the pink one on the third week. Uh, so this morning, I want to learn from and, and listen to a lesser-known prophet. It's the prophet Zephaniah. There's a Zechariah, and there's a Zephaniah. We're going to be in Zephaniah today. Uh, and I want to remind us that when we're looking at the prophets, context is so, so important. We need to understand the world that the prophets were speaking into. So let's kind of get our bearing on Zephaniah. And I'm going to reference several passages before we get to our passage, uh, our key passage here this morning. Uh, but Zephaniah lived at a time when Israel had really lost their way. Uh, Israel had, had gone into all kinds of idolatry. They were disobeying the ways of God. They were not following Yahweh. Uh, they had utterly lost their way. And while most of the time, or often, it's the kings of Israel who were helped leading the charge away from God, 
Josiah was prophesying in a time when Josiah was king, and Josiah was actually a good king. He was seeking to bring Israel back to fidelity uh, to God, and he wanted to get rid of idols. He wanted to. He, he was actively trying to call people back to repentance. Uh, king Josiah was, uh, but the people simply would not listen to the King Josiah. Uh, They had lived too long under kind of corrupt kings who were leading them away from the purposes of God and the will of God. They had gotten used to that. They kind of had a little bit of uh, their own worship of Yahweh along with the worship of all kinds of other gods. And they just sort of liked and got used to uh, life that way. So when Josiah said, worship Yahweh only, they rejected him as king. And they said, this is not going to work. Um, and so this is the, the scenario or the context in which Zephaniah speaks. And so what Zephaniah does is actually, he, the book is a very short collection of prophetic warnings about what will befall Israel if they don't turn away from their disobedience. In other words, the role of the prophet Zephaniah was keep going down this road and it will lead to destruction. Needless to say, he wasn't a popular guy. <laughs> In fact, the role of the prophet often was not very, very popular. We tend to romanticize the, the role of the prophet, uh, but on the ground, prophets were often hated people uh, for sharing the message of God and kind of trying to get people to go where they needed to go. So again, the book of Zephaniah, it's short. It's only three chapters. Um, the book of Zephaniah is a short collection of prophetic warnings about what will befall uh, Israel if they don't churn away from their disobedience. And it includes some of the most sobering prophetic words of destruction in all of the scriptures. So if you read it, you're like, whoa, this is heavy, heavy stuff. Uh, Zephaniah begins by saying that Jerusalem, uh, that is the, the, the central part of Israel, that is they're going to face destruction because they've turned away from God. And he says everything in their life has become corrupt. <laughs> That's the word. The, the word of the Lord is. You are going to face destruction because everything in your life is corrupt. Like I said, not a popular guy. Uh, He continues, though, by calling out the corruption of other neighboring nations as well. So it isn't just Israel that is corrupt, but all of Israel's neighbors as well. You can tell that Zephaniah really had a message to share. He was quite upset. And this all comes to a pinnacle. So that's the first two chapters, just these words of warnings, these short poetic Uh, prophetic words of warning. And that all comes to a pinnacle uh, in Zephaniah chapter 3, which says this in verse 8. For my decision is to gather nations to assemble kingdoms and to pour out upon them my indignation and all the heat of my anger. For in the fire of my passion, all of the earth shall be consumed. Now this is the prophet Zephaniah speaking as the word of the Lord. So it's as though God is saying that to them. For my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble the kingdoms, and then once they're all in one spot, pour out my indignation, all the heat of my anger, and in the fire of my passion, all of the earth shall be consumed. Whoa, right? Now remember that prophecy is a timely word from God for the people of God. And so short of just being a dire warning, we are left to wonder what is the purpose of this kind of, of prophetic word. What is, to what end is this trying to, to reach, right? Um, what is the telos or what is the goal of these words? Is it simply to just say, hey, this is happening? 
You know, is it just a warning or is there in fact a goal in mind? Well, we're actually given a clue and it's quite a surprise in the very next verse, Zephaniah 3 verse 9. So after all the earth shall be consumed, we get this. At that time, I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech that all may call on the name of the Lord and serve him in one accord. Uh, did you catch it? Did you hear it? The speech of the people that was corrupted will be purified, uh, which is really a, a kind of prophetic or poetic way of, of saying, you know, the, the corrupted speech is this worship of idols. It's this indignation toward one another. You can imagine that has every, the speech, this kind of one concept of speech that is corrupted has everything to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with neighbor, right? Like how are we relating to God? Are we, are we kind of mixing in a whole bunch of different idols and, and acting as though that's okay? Are we, and then how is our relationship or what are our words like toward our neighbor? And all of the sudden Zephaniah feels really relevant and resonant. Are you with me? Right? And so this is what's happening. He says, the speech of the people that used to be corrupt, it will be purified, and then the people will serve God all in one accord. My very first car was a 1988 Honda Accord. And it, <laughs> that's right. That's exactly how I felt about it. It had a, it had a sporty front right? And then at night, it had the snake eyes, the like headlights that would pop up. So like during like sport car in the day and then just awkward at night, right? Uh, it's it's kind of like what that was, that car was, but I loved that car and I drove it in college. And often uh, when we, when I, like everybody was coming into my car, we were kind of piling a bunch of friends in there uh, to go to a place. Uh, I would always say, now that we are in one accord, where shall we go? And I said it every time, almost to the point of being obnoxious, like my friends just knew it was coming and they just kind of like gave me the, the courtesy laugh, like all of you are used to, right? You know exactly what it's like to give courtesy laughs to a person who's trying way too hard. And I was just like that in college too. So, uh, so that's how it went down. Uh, but when I was reading this, it actually brought to mind my, my kind of little college joke about being in one accord because when my friends all piled into the car, and we were in one accord, what that simply meant was we were unified in purpose. We were going the same direction. We were headed in the same place. And so the prophet understands that the purpose of God's justice, or we might say God's judgment, right? But the purpose of God's justice is to do away with that which is evil or impure and transformation. So the purpose of God's justice is not just a doling out of consequences. It has a purifying nature to it, right? So we get some really harsh words, words that we don't fully understand in verse 8. But in verse 9, we get the hope, we get the goal, we get the telos, we get this. This is what it's for, and it's for the purification of the people. That where their hearts and their speech and their lives were once corrupt. Because remember, Zephaniah has said, all of your life is corrupt. All of your life has kind of lost its way. 
And he says the purpose of God's justice and judgment or activity in your life is to bring you to a place where you were once corrupt, you might be pure. And where you once were divided, you might be unified. You might be in one accord. There's an important difference here. Unified, it, like unity, is not the same as uniformity. So sometimes when we think about unity, we think in terms of uniformity. If everybody was kind of like me, looked like me, thought like me, those kinds of things, right? Uh, that's not unity. That's uniformity. And there's an important difference. And God's goal, God's work in the world is not uniformity. God's work for the, in the world is, in fact, unity and purity. In fact, I would, I would argue that it's kind of out of a purity of heart that we can begin to work toward a true and authentic unity rather than just try to move toward uniformity. And that's, in fact, I think one really important prophetic word for the church today, or even for the world today, is a lot of times we kind of want to press toward uniformity. I want to kind of get into an echo chamber on social media. I only want to hang out with people that are like me, see the world the same way, etc., etc. But can we come to a place where there is unity, but not necessarily uniformity? Uh, and so, so th this is where we're at. We've got, we've got these really dire warnings. We've got these kind of prophetic warnings. We learn that the reason or the purpose or the goal of those is for purification, for transformation, for a one accordness, right? Where we're kind of moving in the same direction. We're not all the same. We don't all come from the same place. We may not all think the same thing, but we're going in a similar direction. Let me, I was going to move on here, but I want to make another quick side note. This is why we gather around the Lord's table each day or each week on Sunday mornings is because this becomes a picture for us of it doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter how you're registered politically. Uh, it just, it doesn't matter like this or that, but we can all come to the table and confess Jesus is Lord and we are seeking the best we can and the best we know how with the information that we have and how best we can make sense of the world to seek to, to follow Christ as Lord. And we can do that. And in fact, that's what the table represents. It's not like, it's not as you, you know, and, I, and again, I think in January, I, I think, I'm not sure, we, I still need to talk to the board and the leadership team and like everyone that helps make decisions around here. But I think what I might, what I want to is like in January, kind of start going back to or entering back into how we used to receive communion because it presents this quality or this truth in way better representation than all of you with grape juice out there, right? Uh, but that's why we gather around the Lord's table is a way of kind of embodying this unity, leaning toward this unity each week, because I believe that the Holy Spirit can transform our hearts in such a way that we are then empowered and led to how to operate in the world. Uh, that is pretty difficult right now. If you would, I think that's pretty safe to say, right? Okay. So all of that. So we got, we got the big picture, right? Dire warnings, for the purpose of transformation, and, and some of you are like, I thought this sermon was about joy. Uh, here it is, Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. And if you look, my Bible, the heading is a song of joy. Zephaniah chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. 
Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has churned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And you shall fear disaster no more. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. And I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all of your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame, I will gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As is often helpful, we need to put ourselves like as best as we can in the shoes of the people that are hearing this. They've lost their way. The prophetic word is that there are now kind of neighboring nations who are going to come against you. You will be at very real, tangible, physical war. Your, your home will be embattled. So you'll be in physical danger. There's going to be, there's a, there's a spiritual uh, disruption here there's, uh, because we're worshiping idols. Uh, and you can imagine, as, as we learned from our own world, no matter what you go through, there's all kinds of differing opinions, right? And so there's kind of discord among each other. And this is just a, a, a really difficult time. And yet, again, it's like the prophetic word is, hey, this is, this is something that, that God can kind of work in you, that God wants to transform your hearts. He wants to move all of society to a place of health and healing, that, that God's work in the world is not just about you, but it's about, it's about the world itself. It's about collection of cultures. It's like God wants to kind of transform all of this so that it might properly reflect his glory in the world. This is what God is up to. And so so the result of that after the transformation is this burst of joy, this shouts of singing, this, this picture of God kind of singing over us, right? Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. This section paints a picture of a restored Jerusalem that is filled with people who have been restored to right relationship with God and right relationship to one another. The corruption that was once there has been healed. The discord has been replaced with peace. And the city has been made whole again. And as you would guess, this brings joy to the people. They sing and they praise God for the work of purification and rescue that God had accomplished in their lives. Yes and amen. Part of the reason why we sing is to help us to recognize the joyful places in the world. Because uh, as you come in, so here, here's the thing. Sometimes we need songs that reflect exactly where we're at. Right? Sometimes, we need, sometimes we're coming in and we have heavy burdens that we carry and, and we are coming in just recognizing the full weight of the world in which we live and, and then we come in and we need to hear a song that kind of gives speech and gives language for how we feel. 
That's what we need sometimes. But what we need other times is a song that will help lead us in a direction. You need both, which is why Daniel and I regularly have conversations of how do we have a good mix of songs, some that are joyful, some that are a little bit mournful, some just lament songs, and those come more often during Lent, right? But how do we have songs that kind of reach this full kind of emotional gamut because sometimes we need songs that echo how we feel, and sometimes we need songs to lead us in a direction. I don't know how you felt when we started Joy to the World this morning, but you might be feeling not very joyful, right? But part of the reason for singing a song like that is to help us begin to recognize and see and pick up on the signs of joy that are in our world. Okay, so this brings the people to singing, for praising God, for the purification of sins, uh, the rescue, the, what God, all that God has accomplished in their lives. And then here's what the New Testament does. Because you'll notice this joy comes after the, the end result, right? It's dire warnings and then transformation. This is what God has done. God has rescued us, yay, then joy. Here's what the New Testament authors do, is they detach joy from a particular circumstance in light of Christ. Is what they say, they, they, they begin to say, listen, seeing that everything in light of Christ, they understand the work of Christ and the redemption and the reconciliation and the renewal has all been accomplished by Christ at the cross and through the resurrection so that now as the people of God, joy is possible in the midst of every circumstance. Oh, see, that's a lot better than you all are responding. So, uh, but, but it's like this, it's like, in, you know, you kind of get a sense of joys attached to a particular circumstance, right? But the New Testament authors say all the work has been accomplished at the cross and through the resurrection. So now in the midst of any circumstance, there is reason to be joyful because the work of God is coming to bear on that very circumstance. Amen. The Apostle Paul will say it this way in Philippians chapter 4. He will say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Um, I hope that you're listening to the Advent podcast series. Uh, in the first week, the podcast, uh, we looked at hope. And did you catch this? Um, one of the key lines in that very first episode of the podcast was that hope is the ability to be honest about your current situation and yet confident of what is to come. And then the discussion questions were, take a moment to be honest. Just like, what's happening? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it otherwise? Like, be honest about the situation you're in. But then be confident about what is to come. I would submit to you on this third week of Advent that hope and joy are connected in this way. That when we look at the challenges of our time and we are honest and we name them, whether those challenges be collective challenges that we as a culture or society are facing, or whether those challenges be personal, but then we also look at what has been accomplished in Christ and what is to come 
and we can have joy. So hope and joy are connected. The earliest Christians, despite the persecution that was forced upon them and the hardships that befell them, were people of impeccable joy. Uh, the early church, as it was growing in, in Rome, in the Roman Empire, uh, the Roman mindset would, would look at these, this persecuted people, this mistreated people, who responded with such joy that it utterly confused the Roman mind. How can you be joyful in the midst of this persecution? And it became a point of witness for the early church, their impeccable joy. It was not a pretend happiness. It was not a smile through gritted teeth. It was a deep joy that marked their life and quite literally became a witness to the power of Christ and the work of the Spirit of God. And um, I won't ask for a raise of hands, but if you are like me, you tend to lean a little bit on the pessimistic side. That's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can look at things and I can, I can, can kind of get down into a dark hole pretty quick. Um, and so this is, a, this is a word for me today. But it seems to me that in an age of fear and rage, our calling as the people of God is to be people of joy and of peace. Um, in an age of fear and rage, our calling as a people of God is to be people of joy and peace. In fact, I would say trying our best to cultivate joy and learn to live in peace or according to peace or in peaceful ways is an absolute necessity if we are to resist the pull into fear and rage. The default kind of position, the default posture now is fear and rage. And if we're thinking about this kind of according through a political lens, which almost everything is today, right? If we're thinking about this through a political lens, I would say this is true on both sides of the aisle. No one is exempt from this. Right now we live in an age of fear and rage, um, fear and outrage. And if we do not exhibit or cultivate joy in our lives, we will be swept away into the flood of fear, rage, and disgust. And so I would just encourage us this morning to maybe seek out the counsel of the Holy Spirit. I, I, could, I could come up here and I could do my best to give you like three ways to cultivate joy uh, in your life. But uh, those of you that have heard my preaching for a long time know that I, I try to leave the work uh, up to us and the Holy Spirit. Right? I try not to just uh, lay it out for you and give you steps because then that's just too much pressure on my shoulders and too much possible guilt for you. Right? I did the steps and it didn't work. Right? So it's like what we have left is, is uh, the Holy Spirit. So I, I encourage you to seek out the counsel of the Holy Spirit and ask, how can I cultivate joy? How can I cultivate joy in my life? Maybe it might be a change of, of habit here or there. Maybe it might be uh, something you need to overcome. 
that's like, like really holding down your joy. Maybe it's a, a little switch in how you spend the first moments of your day or the last moments of your day. Um, maybe it'll be more intentionally leaning into uh, some time with friends in a way that you're both comfortable to, to gather. Uh, I don't know what it might be or how the Holy Spirit might, might lead you. Um, but we need in this age, perhaps more than anything, to cultivate joy and become people of peace. Um, and so I, I encourage us toward that today. And in fact, I think, um, I, I believe that we're in an age where if the church and as the people of God, we could truly capture this kind of joy, it will once again become an incredible witness. Uh, just as uh, in the early church, their impeccable joy, they were going through really hard times uh, as a particular people, and yet they were people of, of incredible joy, and it became a point of witness. I, I think we're in a similar point in history, uh, that if we could have joy, and, and again, this is, not, this is not a fake joy, this is not a faux kind of joy, uh, this is not like a false joy, uh, this is not a giddiness, this is an undergirding of our life recognizing all that has been accomplished in Christ and allowing that to inform our view of the world and how we treat our neighbor and the people that we don't see things, see the world exactly the right way, right? We kind of lean into all those things and, and recognize the work of Christ in the resurrection. Are you with me? So this is, this is not easy, uh, but this might be, this very well may be the work of our time uh, to become people of joy. And so, Lord, would you help us? Let's, let's say a word of prayer, asking God's help. God, we recognize today that you um, have called us to be people of joy. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is a theme of Advent that the church has developed uh, and, and kind of sought discernment about. And it just comes right to the forefront of what it means to be a follower of Christ, is to have this, this lightness, this joy. And so, God, I pray, in fact, that through the work of your Holy Spirit, despite the current challenges, the divisions, the angst that many of us feel in the world today, that we might um, experience joy in the Lord. That we might look upon all that has accomplished, been accomplished in Christ, all that we have uh, for, to look forward to, all that will be made right, and all that we long for in this season and, and God, may it bring joy. May it bring a lightness um, to our lives. And um, as tempted as we might be to kind of put on a false veneer of joy, uh, I pray, God, that our lives would overflow with a genuine joy rooted in Christ, made possible by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, God, lead us, each one, to... Um, what we might do, what we might not do, what needs to change, what we need to adjust. Um, Holy Spirit, would you give us counsel uh, that we might become a people of joy? So we give you thanks, we give you praise, and we pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.